What's up, everyone? This week on the pod, we have Frosty from Chain of Strength. It is probably one of my favorite episodes we've done. Frosty takes us through a bunch of punishing questions we had about Chain of Strength, and then he helps us break down some old school records, which is basically my favorite thing ever. You know, some some people that we consider old school breaking down more old school stuff. That's what this is all about. It's about the building blocks in the history. So I absolutely loved that. Um, also, just want to say on November 20th at the Ventura Theater, that is the Big Bob Memorial Show, Ill Repute, Stalag 13, False Confession, Dr. No. And you got to show up on time, dude, so you can watch episode one, the legend Joe Rivas bring the heat with his band Out of Trust. And uh, yeah, that's going to be a, a pretty epic event. So make sure you go and support that. Unfortunately, I won't be there because Matt from Retaliate is getting married. So congratulations, Matt. And uh, but yeah, everyone show up, represent, you know, what's up. Please support the podcast by subscribing to it wherever you listen to it. Also, it's never too late to just tell your friends and spread the word. That is very important. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, if you could like it and review it, that is super cool. I don't know why it matters, but it does. So uh, that is much appreciated. Also on the website, 185milesouth.com, there is a playlist for every episode, so you can click that and check out the music that we're talking about. And while you're there, smash that Patreon button, because the Patreons are the people that keep this podcast alive. All right, let's get on with the show. One hundred and eighty five miles south, a hardcore punk rock podcast. Introducing first, the challenger, fighting out of the hard corner. From Oxnard, California, he fears no riff, he fears no spliff. He is the man who wrote what has proven to be undoubtedly the best LP of 2020, Retaliate 4, available now at IndecisionRecords.com. He is the incomparable Roger Camaro! And his opponent, fighting out of the core corner, from parts unknown, weight unknown, reason he didn't pick minor threat in the straight edge Super 7, unknown. It is the reigning, defending, undisputed 185 miles south trivia champion of the world, Daniel, these questions are too easy, Sant! Right, and the first question goes to Roger. Roger, what drum beat does NoFX drummer Smelly play perfectly on the song Lori Myers? That would be do da do da. A point to Roger. All right, we go to Dan with uh, your favorite topic. Dan on Cinema Beer Goggles on the Cinema Beer Goggles VHS tape. <laughs> Blink One Eighty Two has a song titled after what type of candy? <laughs> 
Um, God, let me let me go into my fucking brain palace. Because um, last time you screwed me over with uh, bringing up a thing, but there's only one Blink 182 candy jam, so it's got to be that one, which is M&M's. A point to the champ. Damn. And you know, there's two things to study. It's the Cinema Beer Goggles VHS cassette and 25 to Life lyrics. <laughs> and I'm not doing either. <laughs> <laughs> With that vast of knowledge, you're going to pull it out. All right, we go to Roger for your question number two. Roger, on the cover of the first Good Riddance LP for God and Country, some dudes are depicted carrying a coffin. Are they wearing hats? Yes. A point to Roger. All right. Dudes. <laughs> How would you describe them, Ben? A military funeral? Yeah, United but I didn't... Marines. Okay. Marines. I didn't know what... Uh, I didn't either. Which branch of the service they were in. I didn't want to offend anyone. So I just went with dudes. You know? <laughs> All right. And then the dudes. <laughs> Those dudes are wearing hats, though. That's true. All right. Dan, we go to you for your question number two. All right. On the Floor Punch Division One Champs slash Goal Line Stand LP, aka Twin Killing LP, how many members are depicted jumping on the front cover? Oh my god. <laughs> Another one of these. You're screwing me again, Mr. Nelson. Um You really got me that time. That's the one that really makes me laugh. (laughs) What's that one from? That's just what you say sometimes. You're like, you really got me that time. Or like, you really did something. (laughs) Well, I do know that, uh, is it Bill, the bass player's jumping? I do know that. And I know that Porter won't be jumping. Now, is Zuzai jumping? Oh, God. Uh, I'm going to say two. He's the champ for a reason, people. Dan, correct. Good God, it, man. Is it is it Zuzai who's jumping as well? It's the guitar. It's one guitarist, one bass player, and then the that one dude, like the bald guitarist, ha- is wearing a hat, and he has his like back to Porter. He's like pushing into him. Oh, okay, so that's... That's not the Zuzai guy. That's the yeah. other guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bill... So, Bill, is that the guy's name? I don't know. Bill. Right on. I mean, possibly. Respect. Yeah, but that was good, Daniel. All right, we go to Roger for question number three. Roger. I, I do remember that Porter has like a shitting grin on his face, though. He's like, man, these guys are going off this rule. <laughs> you know? All right, Roger. On the cover of the self-titled face-to-face LP, is the dude wearing a shirt? Uh Yes. We go to Dan for the possible steal. <laughs> Dan, on the cover of the self-titled face-to-face LP, is the dude wearing a shirt? He is not, and he is uh, hunched in the corner of a room with his knees up in the air and his arms around it, right? I think that's incorrect, but we got to give you a point because he said no. <laughs> <laughs> he's, just look- he's just looking in a mirror. Oh, that's not that, the first that album. Be. Okay. No. On I the said- self- did I see the f- – I said self-titled. Did he I did. Oh. I was thinking it don't look away. Me too, man. Yeah, no, self-titled, dude. It's like uh, it's like Black Flag Light. You know, the Black Flag record, he's smashing the mirror in the face-to-face record. He's just looking in the mirror. It's kind of supposed to be taxi driver-ish, I think. They just sound nicer, man. So Black Flag makes you want to punch a mirror and 
face to face just makes you want to look in the mirror and contemplate. How, how many times is uh, connect <laughs> connection on the is disconnected on that record? <laughs> we we think it is not. It's like one of the few that it isn't. That's right. That's right. All right, Dan, let's go to you for question number three. All right. A great Bay Area band whose last LP came out on Death Wish in 2014. And also the thing that Tank Abbott used to separate Steve Nelmark from consciousness with at the UFC Ultimate Ultimate 96. He used uh, a Bay Area A Bay Area hardcore band and the thing that Tank Abbott used to separate Steve Nelmark from consciousness at Ultimate Ultimate 96. Uppercut? We go to Roger for the potential steal. Roger, a great Bay Area band whose last LP came out on Death Wish in 2014, and also the thing that Tank Abbott used to separate Steve Nelmark from consciousness at the UFC event Ultimate Ultimate 96. That would be... I have no idea. <laughs> no points this round. It is, I believe, a band that you chose on your 2014 list, Dan Punch. Oh, just just put. I thought it was like a specific move. Okay, never mind. <laughs> point to Zach for that question. That was pretty good. All right, we got we got a Roger for round number four. Roger, what is the singer of Vendetta's response to you? If you think he gives a shit about what you do. <laughs> uh fuck you a point to roger how about that all right and dan so you can recover here's a question that ben wrote you're stoked okay before forming teen idols ian mckay jeff nelson and jordy grindle were in this band with singer mark sullivan before teen idols yes Oh god, that's a tough question. Um I don't know. <laughs> Roger, any shot at this one? <laughs> no. <laughs> the answer is Slinkies. Oh, oh Jesus, Ben. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was rude of Ben. Don't blame me. No, uh, that, it's it's legitimate. Eh, yeah, because it's Ian related. Maybe we should know, but that's a that's pretty heavy. All right. We go to Roger for Round number five. Roger, what Bad Religion song does Sublime cover on their classic LP, 40 Ounce to Freedom? Oh, um, um, shit. I should know this. Is it, is it, fuck Armageddon, this is hell? We go to Dan for the potential <sighs> skill. Dan, what Bad Religion song does Sublime cover on their classic LP, 40 Ounce to Freedom? <laughs> I hate that I know this. <laughs> I hate that I know this. Apologies to all Edgemen out there. We're only going to die. And Dan cosigns that it is a classic LP. All right, we go to Dan for uh, his question number five. Dan, on the repress of Youth of Today, can't close my eyes. There is an X'd up fist on the cover. Does the X reach past the right of the midway point on the index knuckle? (laughs) (laughs) So it's like going over onto the finger is what you're saying? 
Ben reworded it because he thought my wording was more fucked up than that. So Ben, you explain. <laughs> you're you're looking at the fist, and the fist is up in the air. So left to right um, is the ink going past the midway point to the right uh, of that of that knuckle of that index knuckle. <laughs> You know, this is one of the, like, I mean, we've had some really bad, ridiculous questions, and this isn't even fast food related, and <laughs> this is that bad. Um, I'm going to say yes, it is going over the knuckle. We go to Roger for the potential steal. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Roger, on the repress of Youth of Today, Can't Close My Eyes, there is an X'd up fist on the cover. Does the X reach past the right of the midway point on the index knuckle. No. <laughs> One more time, Roger, please. No. A point to Roger. All right. <laughs> and <laughs> we go to a Roger for a real. Oh, this is a brain twister. Another Ben question. All right, Roger. This band put out the best LP of 2011, Thorns Without a Rose. <laughs> uh, that would be. Retaliate. A point to Roger. How about that? Yeah, right. how about that? I thought we weren't standbagging me. I told you there was one in there, Dan. I was honest with I you. I thought there's already two that have gone by. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we go to Dan for his question number six. Dan, true or false? The third presses of Warzone Lower East Side Crew 7-inch and Unbroken Life Love Regret are blessed with beautiful baby blue on the color on the cover. The third presses? Correct. Now you now you making me feel like it's trick question time, but I'm going to say yes. We go to Roger for the potential oh, steal. Goodness. Roger, true the or false? <laughs> Roger, true or false? The third presses of lower of Warzone Lower East Side Crew and Unbroken Life Love Regret are blessed with beautiful baby blue on the cover. Nah. A point to Roger. Yep. Point to Roger. The Unbroken is the second press. Yeah, I know. I just yelled it out because I thought you. Oh, Jesus Christ. Well, Dan, let's go to uh, Ben for the subtotals. You you still can win. No, I can't. Yes, <laughs> you can. It's daily yes, double Dan. time, dude. Let's go to Bedge for the subtotals. Dan has four points and Roger has six points. So mm. each of you will wager um, as many points as you like that you have before uh, this final round. So, Dan, you have four points. How many would you like to wager? Um, you Hold on. Let's, 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 open, let's open the round. Here we go, guys. <laughs> All right, Roger, you have six points. How many would you like to wager that you're going to be able to guess these lyrics? One. Okay. And Dan, how many do you want to wager of your four points? Three. Okay. Here we go. Roger. Let's see. Roger has the green button, and I'm going to hit it right now. Roger, here you go. Ha, 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 ha.
Let me play it again. Here we go. I know what I want him to be saying, but I don't think he's actually saying that. Uh, I mean, the first word has to be I, right? Um, I love? Is he just yelling I love? Roger loses a point. How about <laughs> that? He's saying haters. Oh, my God. All right, everyone, we're wow. going to play it. Y'all sing along. Can you please of course. Give us the backstory? The backstory to why? What's the line leading up to that? There isn't. That's the chorus. <laughs> that's most of the chorus. Oh my god! It's great. It's a. It, it's like one of the two great late Twenty Five to Life songs. That one and Fight Dirty are great songs. Okay, Dan, we're gonna go to you. Let's see here. Got to hit that yellow button and let's go, Dan. <laughs> What? Reggie's growling at that. <laughs> um, can you play it three more times, please? Here we go. Three times in a row. Uh, oh my god, oh my god. I think he says the word victim. Uh, can I hear it one more time? Yeah, and Dan, this is for the win. Here we I go. know, yeah. Oh. <laughs> Wrong button. I know, yes. Thank you for that, Ben. Appreciate it. Here we go. <laughs> You, you fall victim and we all know Dan I gave you the one you wanted it says can you accept it the lowdown oh, <laughs> oh Jesus oh, no. here we go everyone sing along all right, let's go to ref. That's exactly, he does say that, and I would like to in. I would like to send the first one that you had Roger guess towards you for the sandbaggery of these questions, and the. Uh, Giving Roger a question about retaliate it is just straight. You, you, you are you are not the lowdown. You <laughs> I'm giving you the lowdown. Ben gave you an Ian question. You whiffed. All right, Ben, let's go to you for the final scores. <laughs> well, Roger had six points. He wagered one. He did not get the answer right because nobody to date has gotten one of these uh, <laughs> twenty-five to life lyric questions correct. Not one. Um, so six minus one equals five. Roger ends with five points. 
Daniel had four points. He wagered three. He did not get it correct because no one gets these correct ever, ever, ever. Four minus three equals one. Dan is left with one point, which makes Roger the winner. Oh, boy. Congratulations, Roger. Oh, boy. Hey, man, you are the champ. I've been been listening. I keep track. I'm still undisputed. That's true. Roger's beat him twice, but Dan is still undisputed. So what's up? (laughs) (laughs) Way to go, dude. What's up, everyone? This week on the pod, we have Frosty from Chain of Strength. What's up, Frosty? How's it going? Yeah, man. So stoked to have you on. Everyone, we're not going to touch on everything, so check out the Ryan Hoffman interview in the archives. We go through like the long story of Chain, but we just wanted to pick Frosty's brain and have fun. So uh, that's what we're doing. But Frosty, we do got to start them how uh, a lot of them start. Is how do you discover punk and hardcore? Well, it like a lot of guys kind of my age, um, it usually starts with a few things. Um, usually um, an older family member. Um, Kiss is usually involved. Devo and skateboarding. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, I kind of started out really early listening to music. Um, through my parents listened to like a lot of music. We we had a big, huge stereo console, seventy style in our house. Um, so I was kind of exposed to a lot of music early on. Um, by the time I got to maybe eight years old. I was listening to Kiss a lot because of my older cousin. So that was like one of the the first like real big, huge rock bands that I was really into. Um, So I was pretty, pretty obsessed with them. Just had like, you know, collected a lot of stuff, even really early on at a young age, just um, list, you know, really into the band. Um, I got to go see him in 1979. My mom and my aunt took my cousin and I to go see him at the LA Forum at, on the Dynasty tour, which kind of a kind of a lame era for them. But um, I had already been into him a long time, and I was just kind of super stoked as a kid to go see him that early on and that young. So. Um, I think Kiss is kind of the sometimes for people is like the gateway to to punk because they're just so over the top. But um, by the time I got a little a, a year or two older than that, I started um, by sixth grade, maybe like um, you know 1980. This is like 1980, 81. I was into like um, started liking like other like ACDC and Van Halen, but that also kind of led to some other more um, new wave bands and especially Devo. That was like a huge um, thing for me at the time. Um, like Police, Stray Cats, B-52s, Go-Go's, um, Adam and the Ants, like just a lot of bands like that. Um, my family, like we were one of the first families that had a vcr we like we bought actually bought a vcr to record kiss meets the phantom of the park (laughs) which was like (laughs) which was a um and i mean this a vcr back then was like a big three foot by two foot 
piece of like a machine with the top eject thing and like you had to press play and record to record it and everything it was like a big deal to get one of those back in the day so um it's kind of kind of that was like a big thing so we we recorded that show which um you know it was like a big thing my cousin was actually in that at the concert that they filmed that in at magic mountain so it was it was pretty cool um so we by then we were kind of recording like a lot of different stuff like late night television cable shows and different things like that um and one of the things we recorded was like devo's um kind of documentary the men who make the music and there was like another one um like de-evolution so we had those recorded um i might have seen like erg a music war at that point maybe like quadrophenia and then we had just a bunch of other like random stuff recorded like maybe police concerts and like things like that so um it's really just like into a lot of new wave stuff that was sort of like just sort of around at that point you know just that era and then by the time I got into like seventh grade, which would have been like 1982, um, was definitely out of like kiss and rock and just, just really getting into way more new wave stuff and punk finally, which was like listening to Rodney on the rock mostly. And like my, my younger cousin that, that, that was, well, he's older than me, but he was younger than the, than the one that got me into kiss he, he kind of turned me on to like just a lot of different things um, at the time. And between him and listening to like Rodney on the Rock, I was, you know, started listening to like Black Flag, Fear, Dead Kennedys, um, that type of stuff. We had the decline of the Western civilization recorded and I was like watching that constantly. So just watching all of those bands that were on that, that were in that documentary were just a huge influence, um, especially like Circle Jerks and X and kind of bands like that, the Germs especially. Um, those were just like huge things. So, um, you know, by then I was also getting like a lot of records, like my first like punk records were probably like Black Flag Damaged or Jealous Again, um, fear the record kind of things like that. Um, circle jerks, just a lot of like definitely influenced by like a lot of the LA bands, um, at the time. So, um, by then I was kind of like, you know, starting to dress like a punk sort of, you know, going, going for that style, um, going into seventh and eighth grade, and then started like meeting like punks and stuff. The other thing that was a big influence back back then, right at that point, was skateboarding. So um, I was, you know, Skateboarder Magazine ended like probably around the like late 80. And then this other magazine started called Action Now, which was kind of incorporated like other sort of extreme sports and stuff. Skateboarding had already been like kind of on the decline a little bit. There was still a lot of skate parks and a lot of things kind of going on with that. But um, 
they 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 ended their magazine. So that magazine had like a lot of different things in it. I remember reading articles on like nine 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 and like some other things, maybe Dead Kennedys and some other type of things like that. So um, just getting like a lot of information from that, listening to Rodney on the Rock, starting to become like a punk rocker. And um, do you do you start to learn to play at the time that you're being in into punk like this? Yeah, so I've I would had already been taking guitar lessons kind of like from an early on um like maybe even like starting in 6th grade just starting out on acoustic guitar and uh, my mom was always real and and dad was always really supportive of um of music in our family. My sister p- played piano and I was already taking guitar lessons kind of at that point um Basically, like eventually I got like my first electric guitar, which was like a Les Paul copy um, called called a Hondo, which was which was pretty, pretty funny. But um, yeah, so that was kind of how I started uh, music. Um, By eighth grade, um, you know, I was already like really into punk i still haven't really been to a show yet um and i was just but i was already buying like a a lot of the records and totally dressing the part and and just definitely really into it um may of that year my mom took a friend and i to go to the us festival in um out in san Bernardino, and we saw the first day which was with the clash. So that was like a huge monumental moment for me to see the clash. And there was like a lot of new wave bands that played that day, like including stray cats and like wall of voodoo flock. Of, I don't know if flock of seagulls played that day, but um, um, it was like minute work and, and some other bands and stuff, but um, kind of seeing the clash, um, even though it was kind of the later end of their, their career and sort of sort of at the end it was still pretty amazing to to get to see them so um you know by then i was going to like a local record store in claremont where i grew up which was um called rhino records and buying like a lot of vinyl whenever i had money or could could buy stuff also at the time um toxic shock records was in Pomona was like a place um, when my friends and I could get a ride to go down to, we would buy like uh, our records there. So um, that was really, a, you know, you where, you know, being out in the, in the Inland Empire, you could get like a lot of the records and information and like flyers and stuff like that. So, um, you know, there was just, there was just a lot of information that I was able to get from there. And then like, just, you know, by then my friends and I were just um, getting turned on to like a lot of the punk and, and stuff. And, and at the beginning of hardcore right then too. Um, so, yeah. What so, about the, the first band, the bands you were in before Chain of Strength formed, like the, the first bands you were in, tell us a little bit about those bands and, and who, who was in those bands with you? So the first band that I was in was a, was a band called BDT, which was stand stands for bad display of talent. And, um, 
what it was uh joel connell who was in pillsbury hardcore um carrie goldstein and jeremy goff those were like some of some of my friends from 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 at that time and um yeah we were just like a kind of like a garage band just punk definitely hardcore by then i'd already heard like you know a, a, all of well not all of them but just a lot of the like a lot of hardcore bands at that point especially washington dc and and boston um influence stuff um and of course just all the la stuff and um so yeah we had played like some parties and stuff like that and just just kind of kind of just a, just a local band um we we played with justice league at a um, place in chino called roy's ranch which was um which was definitely like a place down there where, where, you know, a lot of bands would play and stuff. In fact, Roy rest in peace was, uh, um, mentioned on the, on the chain of strength, true till death, seven inch. So the, the, the seven inch was dedicated to him. Um, he was really good friends with Ryan. So, um, yeah. And then we, we played like, like kind of a local club in the San Gabriel Valley it was called rock sands. We would play there. Um, I think, maybe even Mark Maxey in his episode might've even mentioned that, that club. So, um, yeah, that was kind of like the precursor and kind of, I started meeting like, you know, people from there and then also just going to toxic and getting a lot of records and stuff there. Um, they had moved to a different location and that's when I think Ryan had started, um, working there with skip the drummer from justice league are there there any bands you saw that like blew your mind frosty like that you see the first time like seeing like america's hardcore or stalag or was it until like you see uniform choice that's like oh my god like the the seas like are changing well the first hardcore punk band that i ever saw was ssd at the yeah. yeah at the Santa Monica civic and they were out there on their first West coast trip. And it was GBH, the effigies and SSD at the Santa Monica civic. And so literally SSD was the first hardcore band that I ever saw. So, um, and it was just a huge impact on me. I mean, it was incredible to see them. I mean, they were just at their, their peak, um, already a five piece. I remember just my parents had dropped uh, my friend, Sean Connell and his brother Joel off. And we, we, we went in and it was just like incredible to, to like kind of finally be like a real punk gig. And, and to see SSD as like the first one, it was just, it was incredible. It was um, even though it was a really big venue, it was, it was just insane. Right. Um, Go how, ahead. How was the response to SSD at that time? Like it being a GBH show and all. Um, at the time, G- Gary Tovar from Golden Voice was like bringing a lot of. Not only was he bringing like the English bands over, over to the states, and you know, especially LA. Well, I mean, that's where he was bringing them over, and then they would they would tour and stuff when they were out here. But um, he would bring you know, the East coast bands and over here for, for some of these one-off shows. So, I mean, it, 
immediately, I think like two circle pits started like immediately when they played. So it was, it was crazy. Unfortunately at the Santa Monica civic, there was a barrier. So, I mean, you know, you couldn't really get on stage or anything, but, um, and I mean, you can see some pictures of that show. I think Alison Braun has, she was definitely one of the, the people that was photographing that show. Um, actually bought a, a, a very nice print, um, from her to, um, that's in my house that, that um documenting that show is really cool um really quickly weren't you in a band called jolt before chain of strength formed <laughs> yes well, who was in um that? okay so that was sean connell from pills from pillsbury hardcore and phc he actually played drums in that and then uh our other friend eric egan also aka egg um, who was like a local Claremont guy that we grew up with um, that were, th- those were just like my, my homies, my friends, they were just like hardcore, um, you know, kids. And we just were like skateboarding and just buying records, going to shows and stuff at that time, you know, Pillsbury had all was, I think still together and maybe PHC, but that was like a project that we did Um just kind of, you know, I wasn't really in a band at the time and Sean was, was still, was, was doing his band and egg was, you know, egg and I were just trying to, trying to do a band and stuff. So I think he kind of helped us out and, um, it was, it was just like a project basically. Um, was there a rivalry between Inland Empire and Orange County at the time? (laughs) Um, I don't, I don't know if it was an actual rivalry. I guess, I guess it depends kind of who you, who you ask. I mean, it's, it's yes and no. I mean, I don't know. We were just kind of removed from, from the scene down there. I mean, there's definitely people that, that we knew and had friends and everything, but, um, yeah, there was, I don't know. Right. Um, so then after Chain of Strength starts, you know, you get signed to Revelation really quickly. And that whole East Coast, what we call youth crew now. Well, yeah, they were the youth crew. Is that something you you guys identified with? Or did you just kind of get absorbed into that, like being identified with all those bands? Was that some? Did, did you try to be like, you know, a youth crew style band or was that just, did that just kind of fall on, on you? I think, well, I mean, we were always just going for pure hardcore. I mean, that's, that's, that's what chain was. It was all about like hardcore. Um, I mean, at the time that's kind of what it, what it, what it was, was, was the, definitely the youth crew, um, scene so i mean that's and you know we were a revelation band so so of course um i mean there, there's no doubt that chain was like a youth crew band so absolutely right. but you were fr- you were like fans of youth of today before you had any real formal connection to them right or how'd you of feel course about yeah okay. I, I i personally loved youth of today i mean i was already a huge fan of them before even getting on revelation um ryan and chris were 
were really good friends with with Ray and Purcell already because of they were in Justice League and had already like toured, you know, a couple times and had already just they, Ryan had already had a lot of relationships with with a lot of people in the scene. So um, it was it was pretty easy to to kind of identify with them. And that was just the you know, that was just the whole motive of the band was was just a, a, a hardcore band. So <clears throat> Frosty, we've talked a lot on Youth Today on this podcast, as well as Uniform Choice. They seem like two bands that have like an undeniable impact. Could you kind of talk on those two? Like when UC comes around, like what is the impact? And then like when Youth Today starts like pounding the pavement and getting out there, like what is the impact? Um, I mean, they were a huge impact. I mean, especially Uniform Choice on the West Coast. I mean, I saw Uniform Choice at the at Oscar's Cornhusker in Azusa, where the where I mean the front cut where Gavin Oglesby, you know, did the did the cover art for the photo that was taken from there. They played with Government Issue that night. Um, it was incredible. So Uniform Choice was just like at the top of their game and just a huge Southern California um band to, I, I i mean we loved them they were they were just they were awesome so i mean obviously just going to shows and like seeing all their shirts and everything you know it was just like it was they were just definitely one of the one of the bigger bands to 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 um to see at that time for sure and then youth of today i mean to me when they when i when i first heard them there was like a lull in hardcore. It was like the, you know, mid eighties. And I was just, had been, you know, kind of just searching for like true hardcore. There was, it was, you know, a lot of the bands at that point had either gone metal or just went in a different direction or just kind of a little bit more alternative. So when a band that came out that was just on fire and just was like all about hardcore, it was, it, that's what I was like searching for. So it was, it was a big thing when the, when the revelation records, when the seven inches first came out, it was like, it was like, Oh my God, this is what I'm like looking for right now. I mean, I mean, you know, whatever you think about the war zone first seven inch, the lower East side crew. I mean, that, that was like, Oh my God, this is awesome. This sounds like agnostic front. You know, it was, it was, it was killer to me to, to be able to that in the together seven inch were, were like incredible. So I, I love the, those records and just, it was just cool to have like the spirit of like, real hardcore again and it was just it was a breath of fresh air ben talked about you getting lumped in with like the the youth crew bands you also get lumped in with like all the straight edge bands but a lot of like the the straight edge bands in the the 80s like they have members that aren't straight edge and that's how chain was right yeah i mean yes there I, i not every member in the band was was straight edge including myself so um yeah, there. I don't. I think you know. You kind of go look back historical. There was a lot of straight edge bands that didn't have straight edge members. Um, you know, but I. I mean, I can tell you this: the band was a, a true straight edge band. There was at the time. I mean, I was nineteen when I was in that band, so there wasn't. I mean, there wasn't anything going on at the time. I mean, we were all really about that and true to like 
to what we were, what, what the band's philosophies were. So, um, you know, I don't know. I think, I think there was, there's, you know, there's a quite a bit of bands that, that had non-straight edge members, um, over, over history. Yeah. Frosty, this is not a hostile crowd because I love that. (laughs) I love that, uh, the guy that wrote the greatest straight edge song of all time is, uh, not straight edge. So what's yeah. up, Dan? What's up, Daniel? Take it. <laughs> you, um, Zach always refers to you as his spirit animal, and I think this has a lot to do with why why you are you are 100% Zach's spirit animal. Yeah, hardcore spirit animal. That's why. I, I, I've, I've heard you say this before, yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry to make you blush, Frosty, but uh, <laughs> hey, it's true. You, you don't get to choose. I do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Frosty, if if like you were putting it down in in a very youth crew um, kind of sound and scene on the west coast, um, how how was it going to the east coast, um, bringing like west coast sensibility, west coast style, but also playing the same kind of youth crew music that was on fire over there? Um, how how were you guys received, and how did you find it? Um, I, I feel like it was, you know, I, I feel like we, we had to go over there and kind of prove, you know, what we were about. I mean, I mean, a lot of, we weren't really, I think a lot of people were kind of like, what's up with this band at first, you know, cause where, like, where did they come from? So I, I felt like, you know, our first, you know, trips to the East coast were, there was a lot of pressure on us to, to kind of just show that, you know, we were, we were like, you know, legitimately, uh, you know, putting it down and able to hang. So, and I think we, we, we did it, we did it well. And I think we were received. I mean, the first show that we played was at the anthrax. I mean, with judge and alone in the crowd. I mean, that that's an awesome show. And it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of, um, a lot of pressure to be able to, you know, walk in and open up and then you know we we, we did the circle storm thing right before that before this our set as well and i mean at the time going over there without i don't know if true till death seven inch had been out yet but i mean i think we definitely came over as like w- the new revelation band so i think there was a lot of eyes on us and a lot of pressure yeah, and obviously um, you did well because, I mean, half the East Coast is still, you know, Chain is still the favorite band of many stalwarts who've stuck around. When did you first sense that this, and this doesn't relate directly to your band, but just in general, when did you first get a sense that this whole youth crew wave was sort of falling apart? Hmm. Probably around 1990 or 91, definitely by then. Um, I think there was just like a shift in the bands all kind of taking different directions. I mean, I mean, specifically with Chain, you had, you know, Chris and Alex in statue completely by then. They were playing with a lot of different other bands. I mean, you know, you got Inside Out um that that was definitely a shift from the youth crew 
type things, you know, East Coast, you've got Moondog happening and things like that. Um, so yeah, I would say by then that it was just, uh, it, it was kind of, I'd just say bands were, and the musicians were, were kind of focusing on, on some of the other things, obviously, you know, you know, you got quicksand and, and those type of things that were, and bold, it definitely had taken a turn at that point too. So yeah, I mean, it, it was happening with everybody. Um, you mentioned circle storm a little earlier. I always forget what was the lineup of circle storm and, and how did that happen? The first thing, the first version of it was, was basically, um, if you go back and look at it, listen to Ryan's episode, he, he kind of explains it, but we were basically, that was our first time out there. We were like, we were the opening band, but we wanted to, to kind of just have another band <laughs> sort of open for us. So it was, um, it was, it was like Alex, Ryan, and Chris and it was basically all of chain except for me, <laughs> but maybe switched around a little bit. And then circle storm was actually a different version way after chain where it was like, like um, Ryan Curtis, our friend Doug Bellows and, um, and my brother and, and one of his friends. And so that was a different kind of lineup that was like in the, like the nineties. And so, and, um, I think they played what two shows. Oh yeah. yeah. I just meant the, the eighties version of circle storm. Yeah. The, okay. But yeah. I, I thought you were in the, I thought you were in that first version. I didn't realize you weren't in that one. It was not me. All right. Dude. So if it was everyone, but you, did they give you like WWF insurance music? And it's like, okay, it's, <laughs> here comes frosty and it's time for chain of strength. What's up motherfuckers. Yeah. I was, I was like, I was definitely watching, um from the side yeah all right we got a long punishing question blame ben <laughs> not me and uh we want to go through the songs like what you remember about who wrote them and then okay. uh, just any sort of memories and if you want to pass you can just pass all right uh, i'm gonna i might pass on a lot of these no because <laughs> i don't yeah because i don't really i mean i can tell you well go ahead ask the question and I'll, and I'll do my best we'll just go down the list just how much what do you remember about that um it was it was a song that was definitely ryan and chris already had written at that point by the time like i was kind of trying out for the band right on and you write true till death like how does that come about is that a bedroom song yes um it was basically me just practicing at home and coming up with those like basically that key and the and those those notes it's a minor and a major chord and bringing it to a practice and kind of hashing it out with chris um and developing just like the basics of the kind of the basic structures of the song and then those guys lyrically uh you know after we kind of had been rehearsing it or playing it it's when it kind of came together and and we just figured it out and and um those guys wrote the lyrics over it which were you know of course you know. iconic yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, i'm curious about like 
one of the things that makes Chance Strength stand out so much is the drumming of Chris Bratton. And like how much of like his stuff is dictated to him. Like, so you're jamming true till death with him. Like, are you like, okay, I'm thinking like, let's do a really long, like drum fill here. Cause you know, like those, those fills at the beginning of truth till death are like totally iconic. No, I agree. Um, that's all him. I mean, he's, he's an amazing drummer and yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, I've always said the secret weapons of chain are Chris and Alex. I mean, Absolutely. Uh, the drummer is probably the key and the most important part, especially of a car of a hardcore band. And I mean, he was just already like a, an a player. It was, it was, it was just like amazing to play with him. And, um, Alex eventually just became like, I mean, he was just, he was just a crazy musician to begin with, even as a kid. I mean, I was 19 and he was like 14 and he already knew how to play like multiple instruments was already just just very um, intuitive to uh, to music and just knew how to play already. He was just already a, a great drummer, and um, eventually, by the time we got to what holds us apart, I mean, he, his bass lines were just like were just sick. I mean, it was just it was crazy. So, but yeah, um, Chris is like famous for for those rad fills. <laughs> Frosty, I'm going to need you to put a little respect on my hardcore spirit animal. Uh, so, what's up? There's a reason why there's Circle Storm, but there's a reason why there's Chain of Strength. And uh, I believe it's Frosty. All right, moving on. There is a difference. What do you remember about that one? Um, also, a one of the earlier songs that Chris and Ryan already kind of hashed out. They had those initial notes and everything kind of I, I can just tell you this i mean I, the the whole first ep was done between those guys mostly for the most part so i mean they they had already been kind of working on songs and you know kind, kind of playing some of that stuff a little bit to, together who was writing the lyrics? Under- sorry it was Definitely a combination of both of them. Um, I th- both of them had, had were writing lyrics, and then eventually, you know, the, everybody was 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 writing them. I mean, I think even Al, probably, uh, and Kurt were were all writing lyrics, like you know, later on. But um, you know, Chris and Ryan definitely just had a that their vision and like a lot of those those like lyrics already down how does it feel like the first time you hear like that baseline of of never understand and like the way it kicks in with the drums like is that just like hell yeah i get to play this shit (laughs) yeah um i mean that's that that song definitely all of them i mean every one of those songs was just like so fun to play it was it's just i don't know it was awesome completely stoked was let down about seven seconds Basically, yes. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously the the line is in there, uh, you know, about the it took you seven years. I mean, and obviously that was that was a nod to then, but the whole theme of chain was is about about being let down and about betrayal and about you know some of the older hardcore bands that that we saw change 
and go in a different direction. And that was the whole theme of the band was to basically, you know, the spirit of like, you know, uh, of a youth crew band basically. And to, to have, you know, just be about hardcore again. Yeah. I mean, we, we love it on the pod, like the hardcore diss track, right? Because everyone gets it back. Like you guys got it from a band called no reason. They're a Buffalo hardcore band, mm-hmm. 1998. So it all comes around, dude. It's all good. It, it goes in cycles. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, best of time. Same thing. Early song. Yes. Yeah. Right on. All right. Next seven inch too deep until now. And again, like, with those drum parts, like what do you remember about like jamming that? And like, was anyone dictating or cause if the, the drum parts are so like integral to that song, like it's almost Chris has to like write the opening part then. Right. Yeah. I mean, I can't really remember if, I mean, how that specifically came about. I mean, a lot of these songs started with just riffs. And so at that point, I would say Alex and Ryan were collaborating like a lot of, a lot of these riffs together. And so, um, and yeah, I, I, I'm not really sure exactly. And I don't, I would hate to misquote somebody and like say this guy wrote this and this guy wrote that, you know? Right. Let, yeah. Let's go through the last three on that seven inch. If you if you remember who wrote any of them, uh, the space between hurts to ask and through these eyes. With was that Alex and Chris as well, or uh, you said there was a few other? Kurt was start coming in with lyrics at some point as well. Yeah, um, definitely, definitely. By I would say, you know, they were. It, it was still kind of Ryan and 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 Chris and, and probably Alex lyric lyric wise at that point. I mean, I don't know exactly which ones Kurt kind of wrote, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard to tell. It's a little, little fuzzy from back then. And, and then the last two would be the instrumental that ends up being in impact when lyrics are put to it years later. Um, And then that really short, fast song, that you do live. What's the name of that one? You didn't never recorded it. Um, that was called till the end, which was, that one was written pretty early on. I think it might've even been before what holds us apart. And it was kind of just an ode to SSD and bad brains style. And, um, it's kind of just one of those songs that lingered around was on the back burner and we tried to pull it out for the reunion and it just didn't really quite feel right and go over very well. So we kind of yanked it pretty, pretty quickly. And then the impact song, do you, do you remember who wrote impact? That imp- well, that definitely sounds like a Ryan. All those sound like Ryan riffs right there. But again, it's the whole band pretty much collaborating on, on, on that stuff. And yeah, we had the music down, recorded during the um what holds us apart sessions and had gone back and and kurt had done the the vocals later on when when we did the remix right well frosty thank you for letting my friends punish the shit out of you right now (laughs) um Um, i am going to bring this back to some serious pod business and i am going to ask you something that we tortured ourselves with a few uh months back which seven inch do you like better 
the Rev one or the Foundation one? Oh my gosh, um, man, that's really hard to say. Um, hey, it know, hurts that, to ask. It hurts to ask. <laughs> it definitely does. Um, you know, I they, both of them have their their definitely their their qualities to them. I, I mean, I love them both. Um, I would probably say only just uh, out of the pure, pure, just the first start of the band and the feeling of the band that I would say it's true till death. Um, just cause it's, uh, it's, it's, to me, it's just like a, uh, it's the beginnings of the band. Definitely awesome photos, the layout, everything. It's got the revelation star, um, green vinyl, clear vinyl, just it's a really cool seven inch yeah. altogether. So um yeah. Red. I hear you. I hear but, you. I agree. Yeah. But From- I mean I love I love what holds us apart too because we had progressed at that point and completely um that it's they're completely two different EPs and like I just kinda even I kinda even almost acknowledge them as like different little eras of the band because we had just you know, really gone to a little bit more melody and melodic and we'd just been playing together a little bit more, a little, way more accomplished, way more into to DC at that point. I mean, we were always into the DC sound, but at that point we were definitely just full bore into it. So, yeah, you know. Frosty, we touched on a little bit like that Circle Storm does like a different version of the band in the 90s, the late 90s. I went to both those shows and both times they cover true till death. How does that feel to you that like out of all the chain songs they could do, like they pull out like the one that you wrote, is that like kind of flattering? Of course. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, what can I say? I mean, I don't know. I just try to be humble about it. I mean, there's obviously other bands that have, that have played that song before and covered it. But, um, you know, I'm pretty, pretty honored that, that those dudes would choose that song. That's cool. Yeah. Well, what is your perspective on how chain started to fall apart or break up? Is there anything in particular that led to that decision? It, you know, it, we had just, it had already, the band had just kind of run its course at, at the point, um, Curtis was kind of kind of falling out of it a little bit. I think his priorities were changing a little bit. It was, just seemed like it was it was harder to get him to maybe come to practice. We were, we had still been practicing a lot. By then Alex and Chris had really had a lot of um time into statue and they were focusing on that. So I think it was it was easy for them to uh to uh, just kind of focus on that band. And that's kind of where they wanted to go anywhere. Anyway, that was like becoming a really cool project and stuff. So um, yeah, it was, it was just kind of time, I think to, to call it and, and break up. Did you all remain friends? Yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah, everybody's still, still friends. I mean, what well, we were then. So yeah, I mean, it's, that we don't think we're quite as maybe close now, but, but Hey, it's where those are all still consider all those guys, my friends and all of them. They're all, all, all like, you know, we've been through a lot together. So, so then, uh, fast 
forward from 1991 to 2012, what inspired you guys to get back together? Um, I think seeing, you know, revelation having their, their 25th anniversary and just, you know, we, we had been, we had a lot of requests to, to, you know, to play and stuff. And I just felt like, you know, we'd stalled out for a long time. Um, there was, you know, other just personal things about within the band of like, you know, why we couldn't really play and stuff. And finally, I think it was just the time, like, we're like, okay, um, if we're going to do it, I think now's the time to do it. And it just made sense to do it around the time of the, the revelation anniversary. Yeah. So where, where does a uh, chain of strength stand now? Like, I know you did, you know, you played some reunions, went to, did that Florida fest and then, um, you know, haven't heard, seen anything on the, you know, on the calendar. So yeah. Un- unfortunately there's, it's pretty non-existent. There's, you know, no, no shows on the calendar. Um, doesn't look like it's probably going to happen at this point. So, I mean, if you got to see us during any of those reunion shows, that, that was probably the time. Um, I, I don't know. W- wish I had some, some, uh, be- better news on that. Frosty, before we move on and, and talk other things, do you have any closing thoughts on this interview or anything you want to touch on or wrap up on? Not really. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm super humbled to, I'm grateful to be, to be in this band. I mean, it was a, a super important part of my life and, um, you know, it, it was great, great to work with these guys and we did a lot of cool stuff together. So I'm just, I'm just super stoked for that. fight lasts for hours, each ram battering the other dozens of times. Head to head. All right, we are going head to head. We're putting up the two, the first two Minor Threat 7 Inches. Minor Threat Filler comes out in 1981 discord records and minor threat in my eyes also comes out 1981 discord records ben head to head which one are you taking well the first seven inch has twice as many songs so it's kind of unfair to compare them but i mean whatever you this it is a good comparison because the these records were recorded mere months apart from each other and they sound very similar so Although I didn't notice this until maybe a couple of years ago, the guitar on the first seven inch sounds more fuzzy, but it took me decades to notice that. So it's obviously a very subtle difference. Um, everyone is playing equally well on both records and Ian is equally pissed on both records. Um, and I think the big difference is other than, you know, they do a cover song on the second one. They do um, uh, I'm not your stepping stone. But uh, the song in my eyes is like a prog rock opus by 1981 hardcore standards. It's like this epic, you know, sweeping song with lots of parts. It might even be more than two minutes long. Um, But it's also one of their most pissed off songs ever. So 
doing a song that ambitious actually paid off for them. Um, and my favorite Minor Threat song ever is on the first record, though, which is the song Seeing Red, lyrics by Jeff Nelson. And Zach's favorite song is on the second one, which is Guilty of Being White. Um, so what more can be said about this band? It's all classic, but that self-titled 7-inch, or at filler as we call it, is just slightly more classic. <laughs> nice needling ben <laughs> way to make it awkward because that song is awkward as fuck i mean it, yeah i don't know anyway frosty what's your take well i would definitely agree with ben in that the filler seven inch the guitar tone is um to me that was always a killer fuzzy guitar tone that lyle had um you know the the overall the sounding wise from that seven inch, it's definitely like a just, it just seems like fuller. Um, you can hear every instrument. The production is really good. Um, you know, as a guitar player, I mean, just the admiration for Lyle's style that like just listening to that strumming on that record is incredible. It's, it's insane. Um, I mean, I don't even know how you even put these two EPs up against each other. They're both the most classic hardcore seven inches to me, in my opinion. Um, you know, they're, they're insane. I mean, the first one has the, the song minor threat, which I think might be the actual song might be one of the best hardcore anthems ever recorded. I mean, it's, it's kind of, kind of just insane. Um, the, the first EP, uh, just even looking at it, you know, the cover, uh, which, by the way, is actually Alec Mackay and not Ian Mackay, which maybe, you know, some people may or may not know, um, which is Alec's second actual cover on Discord. And this is only Discord number three. Um, so, I mean, that's that's pretty pretty cool right there too just you know that that cover he's also allegedly sleeping in that photo um which is which is kind of crazy um the in my eyes seven inch to me the song in my eyes is probably one of the greatest uh song hardcore songs ever written and i'll agree with with ben on that too it's just like i mean the just just the way it, it starts out it's it's uh the tempo changes in it it's way more dynamic um just just a it's definitely more angry it seems like he's got you know ian's got a lot more to say on it um that song alone on on this record is 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 just the strong point and I've also seen several set lists where this is actually the song that they close their set with. So, I mean, that right there is just telling you this is this is like one of the the um, signature songs of the band, and and um, you know all and kind of the theme of their band. Um, you know, it's also got the um, the song "Out of Step" on it too, which is pretty pretty controversial and was actually changed for the out of step um 12 inch you know some of the lyrics were changed with the the adding the i in there um and stuff so if i i mean i don't even again i don't even know how to even 
choose between one of these, but I'm actually going to go with in the in my eyes seven inch just because of the song in my eyes and um, pretty much that that alone right there. I mean that that song is just incredible. My, my favorite Minor Threat song is actually Stand Up, which is on the Flexor Head comp, which, you know, kind of don't really get to talk about between these two right here. That, that to me, is one of the best Minor Threat songs ever right there. Um, just lyrically, sonically, and, and you know, just the just that song alone, just everything that it's about is, is like just a, a really solid track. So, but I'm going to go with in my eyes. I love it. Dan, what's your take? So kind of following on from these two, it's, it, it comes down to the song in my eyes, which is beyond God tier versus a collection of amazing songs. Right. (laughs) And that's no, I mean, stepping stones, amazing. I love the production, how it goes from, from just the high end, and then the bass and everything gets slowly pulled up into the mix. And it's, it's just a really amazing production move that makes it so catchy. And it is so theirs. They own that, you know, it's so cool. Um, But it's in my eyes, the song, which as both these two have talked about that it is um, an elevation in songwriting versus the, the more straight ahead approach of the first seven inch, but I mean, you get a one, two punch of filler and I don't want to hear it like coming right out the the gate. Two of the best songs to have ever been heard on the planet earth. And then the last song on the seven inch is minor threat, which shows um, the mission statement of the band, you know, saying, kids have fucking shit to say, you know, and I'm never going to be, I'm never going to turn my back on what has brought us here to this, you know, scene and what has brought us to this mentality. It doesn't mean like, if you think this is kid shit, like I'll be a kid forever. Um, and I, I really, uh, identify with that. And then, yeah, there's amazing songs, small man, big mouth, screaming at walls, seeing red, like, and then, of course, can't leave it off, even though I left it off the Super 7, Straight Edge. The song Straight Edge is on filler. Um, while it is not the best song on the 7-inch, it is such an amazing piece of thought that was then taken up by people from all over the world to most people make their lives a bit better, you know? Um, so I have to go filler. I, I mean, the, the lyrics to the song filler also are incredible. Um, it's a anti-religion song or it's an anti-religion fucking you up song. Um, I, I have to go filler and I, you know, I almost feel like I'm leaving minor threat off my straight edge super seven again, because I'm turning my back on in my eyes, but I've got to go filler as my choice. I echo most things that everyone says, obviously. I mean, these are two of the greatest pieces of hardcore music of all time, right? How can we knock anything? So if I got to knock some stuff, 
Ian's singing on a on a mic stand on MIs, but somehow it's a better cover than the first seven inch, I think. So yeah. advantage, his advantage eyes. MIs. His yep. eyes on it. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, yeah. But dude, singing on a mic stand? Come on. Pass the mic, fool. What's up? Is that like proto Fugazi don't uh, stage dive? I don't know. Um also the song Straight Edge, it gave us the abhorrent version that no effects would do later. So that's a knock on the song straight edge. <laughs> um, back to knocking in my eyes. Let's see. Guilty of being white is very awkward. And uh, I don't know that it's weird, right? Only four songs, man, the first seven inch, it's like eight perfect songs. Like it's literally perfect. It's eight songs. Like it could almost be like slapping on a 12 inch. Right. And it's like great for the era like a perfect 12 inch, a perfect seven inch. It's like unfuck with the ball. I got to go that way. Although the song in my eyes is probably the best song of all of these. Like it is an early hardcore opus. And Ben, you said it might be over two minutes. It's actually almost three minutes. Yeah. 249. It's, yeah. 249. According to Discogs, which may or not may or may not be wrong, but uh, they're like, yeah, the I mean, yes, that's what, they're like the yes of hardcore on that right and like <laughs> i mean that song is so apex and it's also so like blueprint of what a lot of early great hardcore is right like the start slow then the dude yells something then it goes fast you know it's like blueprint shit it's absolutely perfect but i'm going filler because the thing is flawless like i'm joking on the straight edge stuff obviously um this thing is perfect i can't knock a single thing about it you know and uh, so, yeah, that's my take. And let us know, guys. We'll post later uh, this week and get all your takes on Instagram. All right. One's got to go. We're doing four old school classic seven inches. Ben, what are our choices? Well, today we're going to do agnostic front. United Blood 7-inch versus Antidote, Thou Shalt Not Kill 7-inch versus The Abused, Loud and Clear 7-inch versus Urban Waste. I always thought of this as a self-titled 7-inch, although Discog seems to think it's uh, entitled Police Brutality. But it's the Urban Waste 7-inch. You all know it. Released in 1983. I think all these records came out in 1983 and these are all New York hardcore bands. So it's a very uh, apt and even comparison uh, that we're doing. So who wants to take it first? Yeah, this is a super even matchup. This is brutal, but that's why we do them, right? Dan, what's your take? Okay, so United Blood, I, we've we've talked about United Blood and the importance and the quality and the fact that sometimes it gets overshadowed because Victim in Pain comes around the corner. But United Blood, Jesus Christ, it's amazing. <laughs> you know? Um, and then we've also talked quite a bit about the um, Thou Shall Not Kill 7-inch um, because we, we had a big debate of, well, what 7-inches are as equal to this? Because, you know, I said... It wasn't God tier to me, and it offended everybody else that was speaking on it at the time. Um, but God, it's got so much 
personality you know it's it's got um variety and it's got arthur googie you know so then you've got the abused now this is probably the worst recording of the four in my opinion um but jesus christ (laughs) it's got some bangers on it it's got some hits it's got uh drug-free youth and it's also got a picture of an awesome drug-free youth vest on the back. I um, or on the lyric sheet, possibly I can't remember. Um, and it's also got a shirtless Masha smashing through a wall, which is also fantastic. I got to say that this record was a long. Um, it took me a long time to it to get over in my. Uh, heart but geez it's way in there now like you know this was a lot a slower burn compared to that the others and urban waste what i really love about that is the recording of this like in the same year as the others um it's like yeah it's a bit muddy guitar and drums ish but the vocals are out front it's got kind of a little bit of a um reagan youth kind of vibe um to the vocals as well like because they're loud but they're snotty and and hard but um oh god now i gotta choose that was just a little rundown of why i like them all um for me even though the abused seven inch isn't as good of a recording in my opinion as the urban waste I mean, I can't live without the abuse seven inch now, and uh, and basically, thou shall not kill and United Blood are uh, untouchable. I I can't go for either of them, so I'm gonna bring the abused into the fold, and I'm gonna say sorry to Urban Waste, even though police brutality, public opinion, oh my god, amazing songs, but I'm gonna have to let that one go. Yeah, I'm back in Daniel here, uh, and I got to just say the Urban Waste Seven Inch is actually 1982, I believe. My um, bad. And no, it's all good. I would have thought they were all 83 as well. Um, and it, they still might all be 83 because I'm just going off discogs, dude. So who knows? Uh, but the song "Ignorant" on the Urban Waste Seven Inch is rad because this is 1982 New York hardcore, and that beat they do on the beginning of it is kind of like the proto of like what a lot of early nineties New York hardcore would be. So it's kind of sick that like, there's something so early kind of doing that, like a hip hop type bounce beat. I was going to say the same thing that that beat is totally kind of out of character on that whole seven inch. And it really kind of makes it kind of unique. And it's, um, it's pretty cool. It almost sounds like something DJ shadow would sample or something. It's crazy. And And here's something wild about that, that I just found out right now. This record was recorded at Power Play Studios, which is where lots and lots of classic 80s New York hip-hop records were recorded. And I'm certain I, I mentioned Power Play Studios in my book. And I just, just learned that today, right now. There you go. Well, yeah, I mean, I would like to shout out to the listener. Yeah, my part, Dan. Um, I want to shout out to the listeners, too, like, if you guys can come up with anything that's earlier that does this beat, please let us know. Cause this is like the earliest that I can find it. And so, you know, 
there's lots of smarter and better historical people than us out there. So reach out if you can find this beat earlier. Um, but this whole seven inch rages, the I'm gonna lose it too. I'm agreeing with Dan because like the other ones are just too close to my heart. Like you, I thought that I would lose United Blood because, like Dan said, Victim in Pain is so it's like perfect, right? So it kind of overshadows United Blood in a way. For us, it came after, right? Like I'm sure that if I was there when United Blood came out, it would be like, oh my god. But because I heard Victim in Pain first, it's a little hard going backwards. But United Blood just has so many bangers on it. Like, I can't lose it, even though I don't like the recording is a little distracting to me. The abuse stuff I've always loved. I think that they got booted by Lost and Found in the 90s. And I had it then because I don't remember a time in my life where I didn't have this stuff. And I absolutely love it. Like, the Just Another Fool song is like one of the greatest hardcore songs of all time. I totally dude. agree. That's my yeah. favorite song. <laughs> dude, it's absolutely perfect. In fact, it might be my favorite song across all four of these seven inches. So I can't lose that either. Antidote, we know. It's nothing but bangers. It's like talking about Minor Threat filler where it's like, this could be an LP and like stand by itself. That's how that antidote is. So it sucks to lose a seven inch that rips as hard as the Urban Waste plus has like a sick hook of like, whoa, it has like this proto shit on it, but I got to. Frosty, what's your take? So, again, all four of these are, I mean, this is kind of insane for me to have to even pit any of these up against each other because, I, I mean, all of these have a have a special, like, place for me. I mean, I, I've, like, spent a lot of time with all four of these seven inches, um, you know, it, w- since I was a teenager, basically, and these were the first hardcore records that i was buying um two of them i bought brand new um straight from toxic shock records in pomona um i bought the united blood seven inch and also the antidote seven inch like brand new straight from the bin so and then the other two were acquired very um very shortly after like at record swap meets so i mean i've had these you know, original copies of all of these for, for quite some time. Um, starting with United Blood, I mean, there's, that is just like one of the most quintessential New York hardcore seven inches. I mean, it's just, it's like, um, you know, I, I don't know, recorded at Don Fury. Um, just those songs are just like, just classic. And, you know, you've got like just the classic, foundation of new york hardcore right there you know Vinny and roger got rabies on drums um just like you know songs like final war you know last warning the song united blood um also agnostic front is just like a, a special band for me i saw them you know pretty early on i saw them in 1985 in pomona at the at one two XU club, which was like where the old Toxic Shock Records was back then, and they were it was just like one of the most amazing gigs I've ever been to. Um, it's it was insane. So I mean, I don't even know how I could even cut that record out of all four of these. The Antidote seven inch. I mean, I mean, I think everyone just kind of knows how incredible that is. Um, you guys have talked about it on previous episodes i mean i kind of won't even really get into 
a lot of that. I mean, it, but that at the time when that, I mean, you know, it's, it's easy to kind of, you know, analyze some of these seven inches when you've had so much time, but I'll just tell you when that record came out, it was incredible. It was the production and the, um, just the sound and the, just those songs, the one, two, three initial punch of like life as one, not to youth and then into real deal. I mean, you just, that's like, how can you even front on that? And then just the guitar sounds, this, the, the, I mean, everything, just the production was, was like pretty insane. The cover art, which was like the first kind of exposure to, to seeing, you know, maybe some Krishna type related stuff that, that piece is called the law of karma, which is, um, which is a, a kind of a classic piece. And it was, uh, one of their, one of their friends that it didn't did the art. I mean, it was, it was pretty, pretty, pretty cool. It was just something to like, um, you know, see at the, at the time that was ahead of like a lot of different, different things that, that would come down later on in hardcore. And then, um, yeah, as, I mean, as Dan said, you know, you got Arthur Googie from the misfits on drums. So it's, uh, man, I don't, I don't even know what to say. And then with the abused, I mean, man, God, just straight off the, the bat. I mean, to me, the, um, man, you've got Kevin Crowley, his vocal style is just so deep and, and growly and that just the, the, the opening song of loud and clear is just like off the hook. It's just so solid and, and huge. And, um, you know, you just got some some big anthems on there. Um, you've also got the song "Watch Out," which has has some youth of today lyrics in it, and you can kind of see where some of these, where they probably drew some influences, absolutely directly from this band. There's no no question. Um, just the whole spirit of this band is like so cool. Also, um, just a note: um, the singer Kevin Crowley was the was the was the guy that designed the actual New York hardcore logo with the, with the X and the NY NYHC. So, um, and then his art on all of this and the flyers that he did for, for the band was, this was pretty, pretty cool, man. I just really, really into that. Um, just a side note. I don't, if you, if anybody has seen the, um, the radio Raheem, um, reissues that are that they've done the the deluxe packaging of this one and then also the antidote ones are they're incredible i would highly recommend you know if you if you love these eps to to check those uh reissues out because there's just a lot of extra content in it it's like kind of like how trust records has been doing all the um kind of the the western og stuff and just doing really incredible deluxe packaging with extra booklets and um just the pressings are phenomenal and both of these are are really cool to to look at if if you like those two eps and then um urban waste i mean i absolutely love that seven inch it's it's um you know it's it's just crazy that was like a, a big seven inch to um to get this was one of the last seven inches that i got out of all four of these and um kind of took me a little bit to get it but um you know just the guitar tone is probably what what to me sets it off with the um 
there's like a chorus or like a flanger or like a weird effect on it, but it's like, there wasn't too many bands at that point doing that. So that, that really struck my ear when kind of getting this as a, as, um, as a teenager. And then, you know, right off the bat, you got a song about police and police brutality. And then also the, the cover art, which is a classic, um, punk logo you got with, you know, back then you got so many bands that are doing like rad logos, like, you know, Shattered Faith, Crass, Social Unrest, TRI, Circle One, Seven Seconds, Big Boys, Articles of Faith, all these bands just had like all these rad logos. And, and, you know, that band, you know, was just followed suit with it, with a cool, you know, circular logo on the, on the cover. Um, man, it, I'm going to go with both, you know, Dan and Zach. I probably would cut this one though. Be, um, just because that for the same reason, the other three are just so like, I don't know. Those ones were, were just, I don't, I don't even know how to explain it other than that. Those ones were just edged it out just a little bit more. I love all four of these. Like, I mean, they're all equal in my opinion. I love them all, all four, but I mean, if I'm going to be forced to do one, I guess it would be urban waste. It hurts, but you got to do it. Ben, what's your take? Um, urban waste sounds, and I think they did come out in 83, because if you click on the 82 one, it's a test press. So maybe it was recorded in 82 and then came out in 83. It was recorded in, it was recorded in 82 and came out in 83. Okay. Take that, Discogs. Fuck you. No, no, no. That's But if you click on it, it shows you it's the test press. So for whatever. Anyway. I know. We're just, we we got to smash on Discogs for always being wrong and making us look dumb. Er, Sorry, Urban ben, Waste sounds a lot like a Mystic Records band with the exception of that Igno beat. They have this like real generic California sound to them, like 83 era California sound. And I never picked up on that before, but even the vocal style is kind of like that. And like the guitar, it's funny that Frosty pointed out that it sounds like a flanger, which I also never noticed until today when I was listening to all these records again for the hundred millionth time. The guitar sounds like a can of bees run through a flanger pedal. And it's like <laughs> even the greatest guitar effect ever invented can be misused. Um, so I don't think it s- sounds very good at all. Uh, the song public opinion is definitely the standout kind of most catchy sing along song on the record. And then the agnostic front record, according to Discogs is the very first record that Don Fury ever produced. So boy was his career off to a good start. And I mean, and I don't mean that sarcastically, like talk about like, you know, I think I'm going to produce records. Bam. The most like legendary New York hardcore bands. Very first record is like, is the first thing you do. Um, it's very negative approach musically. Like vocally, Roger sounds more like an actual human being than John Brandon and less like a rabid animal. But if you took out Roger's vocals, you it, it would really come close to being that first negative approach or the negative approach seven inch musically. And the recording is so rough and there's zero melody in any of the music, but it is still filled with hooks. Uh, you got lots of tempo changes, lyrics that are easy to sing along with. And there's even a song called In Control. So bonus points for being named after a Nardcore band from the future. Um, Antidote is like a slight cut above everything else. It's 
pretty much the same level of rawness, but there's more going on with the drumming and guitar playing than the other bands. They're, and the vocals are also more unique. Like there's, re- I mean, up to that point, I don't think there's anyone that sounds like the antidote singer, obviously a big influence on uh, Ray Capo and uh, Eric Ozine later on um, better songwriting in general and plenty of hooks also in that non-melodic hardcore kind of way. And then for the abused, this is like the most vicious sounding of the four. And the singer totally sound reminds me of Mike judge, but of course Mike judge may have been trying to sound like the abused guy or it's a total coincidence. Um, but they mix up the tempos a lot, which is good. And there's this, uh, I don't remember the song, but kind of in the middle of the record, he does this like thing where he goes, they want war, they want bloodshed, they want money, but we'll all be dead. And it totally reminded me of Jello Biafra. Like, let's throw in a little Jello Biafra part in the middle of this record that like doesn't sound like Dead Kennedys. And then Drug Free Youth is the standout song, and that closes the record. And it's like, do I like that song because I'm straight edge? No, it's because it's an awesome song. I love the song Quest for Herb too. So there. Um, I'd say the one that's got to go is Urban Waste. I'm agreeing with everyone else. And it makes me wonder, since there is a consensus that Urban Waste is the least good of these four, if, if, we, had, if we had taken Urban Waste out and in place of it, we had the mob step forward seven inch. How do you guys think it would have ranked up against these other three records? I would lose the mob seven inch. I, th- I like the urban waste better, okay. but I love that mob seven inch too. But I do, if I had to go head to head on urban waste versus the mob, I would go urban waste. Okay. Frosty, uh, how about you? Okay. So the mob step forward or what's the, what's the first mob? The, um, Step forward is the second one, right? So that's the three, the song, three songs, seven inch. Yeah, yeah. the The first one, um, that that EP is killer. I mean that that one to me is right here, with in in the same mix with with these with all of these EPs right here. And I think the mob doesn't quite get enough attention and i know they were a big influence and like really involved with um these bands i mean especially i mean you you kind of even if you look on discogs it'll even tell you like mob style records i think they were kind of in involved with with more more of these records than than you might think um man i if if you if you added even either one of the mob EPs, I'd still probably lose those compare with um, in comparison to the the three with antidote abused and AF. Okay, okay, that's how that's how solid they are, you know. Right, Dan. Does the mob change anything for you? And then, what was your urban waste point? No, I urban waste is better than the mob to me. Um, simply off the strength of the two songs. Uh, police brutality and public opinion. And the thing that that's really interesting about public opinion, it's kind of like stating, you know, hardcore and punk as like, it almost has a separation. Um, And it's, you know, probably one of the times where it's very self-referential. One of the first times that this kind of stuff is being 
spoken about lyrically you know, as being hardcore, you know? I, I think that's a really interesting signpost in the history of hardcore. Right, yeah, because they're you know? separating the two. They're, they're, they're considering them two different things. That's a good point. Yeah. And United Blood really could just be it, the winner of this four-way just on the strength of the photo on the front of its cover. Like, Jesus Christ, how iconic is that? And, you know, if there's an afterlife, if there is an afterlife, whoever John Nordquist is, is so psyched. He's just living off the fame that the United Blood 7-inch was dedicated to him. You know, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Dan, go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say, he's moshing angels on a cloud somewhere saying, you can't fuck with me. United Blood was dedicated to me. Yeah, that's righteous. Yeah, you know, this hurts that we're unanimous on the Urban Waste 7-inch because it is so good and so classic. So maybe we'll have to do an old-school segment and we'll do a whole dedication to the 7-inch and talk about how great it is. Because, uh, yeah, you know, I usually hope that these don't turn out like unanimous because we don't want people to think that we're dumping on a record because we we set these matchups because this is stuff we love, right? So uh, that's that. But uh, that wraps the segment. Frosty, thanks so much for doing this. Thank uh, you, guys. Much appreciated. And, uh, yeah, everyone, check the uh, Instagram this week, and we will take your take on everything. And we'll talk to you on Monday.